Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. All right, everyone. Welcome back to a third episode, or the third episode of Sports Business Perspective. I'm your host, Paul Hine, and with me today is my co-host, Braden Karen. How we doing, Paul? I'm great, man. I'm excited to record in person for the first time. Um, so we are not in studio, for those of you who are listening, but we are in person. We're back at school now, so I'm, uh, I'm very excited that we get to do this. Uh, in person, I feel like it'll make the quality of it better for sure. Uh, so the first thing that I wanted to talk about today was the MLB pulled in the most revenue in a single year that they've ever had. Uh, so, Braden, did you see anything about this? Yeah, so the MLB got $10.8 billion in revenue, according to Forbes. And this is compared to their previous record of $10.7 billion. So it's an extra $100 million, which if you look at the numbers 10.8 to 10.7 billion does not seem like a it big doesn't seem like a big difference. But, yeah. it's, it's a, but it's a when you're difference. talking, you know, $100 million, that's exactly. a lot of money. It's a hell of a lot of money. And I feel like that, that's definitely a good trend for the league. But at the same time, they're making money and they're losing fans. You know, like I, I thought I wasn't exactly sure how MLB hold in the most revenue ever when their game attendance continues to decline. Yeah. You know, because I feel like the perception among, like, the public, like, especially the American public in general, is that baseball's a dying sport and the MLB's boring and all this stuff. And it seems to be, like, the perspective of at least every non-baseball fan. Yeah. Like, I hear that from my non-baseball friends all the I time, do. that they're, like, it's boring. Yeah, ba- like, baseball's boring, like, you your sport's dying, like, yeah. you're you not know, doing anything, like, all this stuff. And, I, I mean, obviously I disagree but I don't understand how when that's the public perception of, oh, your sport is dying, like it's going to go away, how are they making the most money they've ever made then? Yeah. You know, and to me, I was thinking about it and I thought like it's because of the TV deals and they got new ones with Fox, ESPN and Turner uh, this year. Uh, and all of those have created a ton of revenue for them. Let me see if I can find the article that had it. Yeah, is it this one? Yeah, yeah it's that one, CBS? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, so... Where's the TV deals part? Okay, so attendance jumped 42.3% compared to 2021. When the start of the season saw most ballparks at no more percent, no more than twenty percent capacity, because of COVID, yep. obviously, and you know so people came back this year to the ballparks, which makes sense. And um, Major League Baseball has seen attendance drop nine straight seasons when taking twenty twenty out of the mix. So outside of the COVID year, attendance has been dropping for a long time, and they've had to kind of switch their uh, ideal fan to someone who has a little bit more money in order to make the same amount yeah. of money. I heard on a podcast, uh, an MLB, well, not an MLB podcast, but yeah, an MLB podcast. Not an MLB official podcast, but um, I heard on a podcast that a Reds executive, an ex-Reds executive, said that they are not looking to bring poor people into the park. And that was like a direct quote. Interesting. That was like a direct quote. Interesting. Like, like, they don't want poor people in their ballpark. So they just want to raise tickets. So they want to raise tickets. Yeah, for so that 
their fans will be rich or you know have higher wealth, and like their thinking is like they'll make more money because they'll buy more merch at you know, higher prices. They'll pay higher packages for TV deals yeah. to watch the games, and that creates more revenue for their team. It's like this strategy by the owners of, okay, yeah, we could be losing money right now, but how do we switch our perspective so that we make as much money as possible? Yeah. From a business standpoint, I like that. Like, I, I, I could I get understand where they're coming from. I could understand exactly. it, I get where they're right? coming from. I could understand it. But from a fan perspective of like – It's a little messed up. Of like I've been watching this league my entire life. It's it's kind of messed up, you know. Like you're basically saying, you know, you people without these resources, yeah, you are not welcome Mookie, like, in our game anymore. Yeah, it's a kind of discrimination. It is. It is kind of discrimination, and like not usually the type of discrimination that gets talked about is like racial. Yeah. But this is more economical. Yeah. You know, and you kind of see it as a trend throughout the game in general, not just the MLB, like. You look at high school, college, AAU, everything's so much more expensive now. In order mm-hmm. to get noticed, to even – okay, so the progression is high school, college, pros for most people. Unless you're a stud athlete in high school and then you get drafted out of high school. But even if that's the case, you have to be on these competitive club teams now mm-hmm. where they have, like, the top equipment and just this – to get recognition. And this reputation just to get And, scouts. like, trainers and stuff like right, that. Right, and the like, trainers, they're right. They're, like, high-level people. Like, a high-reputation yeah. club team just to get Same scouts club. out to your games to Same. get noticed, mm-hmm. to get recruited. So, like, who has the money to do that, right? It's rich people. Yeah. or Well, not rich people, but it's, it's middle-class to upper-class people. It's above middle yeah, I'd say it's like middle to upper class people, and you can kind of see like that trend, and you know the players that are starting to go into the majors now at twenty twenty one years old. You know, like these guys come, not all of them, not the international signings, but I would say the majority of American born players, American born players, come from not a unwealthy family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they don't come from bad situations. Yeah, and I see something right here is, this goes into it. So I'm looking at uh, U.S. households. Uh, approximately 33% bring in over 100K or earn $100,000 or more. Right. And I would assume that's... And that could be down, too, because not every, obviously not everybody's married to somebody. Like right, people yeah. People are single. Right. And etc. Kids who play baseball usually like you. You would assume like let's say they have families, right? You know, so they have people supporting them. Exactly. You know, which is another part of that. So you know, the fact that they brought in MLB brought in the most money that they've ever brought in in revenue. Yeah, it's from the TV deals, but it's also because you've switched your ideal fan now from what it used to be, you know, the average baseball fan. Like, I would say, you know, a normal, normal person, normal American, but... Just like the average person. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't unaffordable for someone who, you know, didn't have a lot of money yeah, to spend on It's not like something that you're going to go watch a game every day or whatever. But, right, or yeah. Or like... 
majority, but like go see a game or two a year. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. It wasn't something that people who didn't have a lot of money, but they could afford to go see a couple of games a year, you know. Yeah. And now it's like the ticket prices in most ballparks, at least for the big market franchises like your Boston's, your New Yorks, your LA's, your Houston's, Mm -hmm. those kind of places. Their ticket prices are so high that it's like those people are almost being not ushered out, but phased out of the fandom of the game. Almost forced. Almost, yeah, almost being forced out of their own because fandom. They, and then it's out of their control. Like they can do nothing about that. Yeah, because the owners see the trend in declining attendance and think, oh, we have to make more money to make up for this, which from a business perspective makes sense. But from a fan perspective, it has worked, and it's and it's worked clearly. If they're bringing in ten point eight, which is the most they've ever made, or ten point eight billion, but is it a good reputation for your game if you're shuttling out the poor fans? You know, if you're kind of facing them out and putting these, I'm not gonna say rich people, but like wealthier, not. Well off. We'll say well off. Well off. Well off people as your ideal target, you know. And, like, it's part of your marketing strategy if you think about it, you know. Like, who do you want to have come to your games? Parents of young kids that have good jobs that are wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're going to they're gonna pay for their kids' jersey that they want from the team store. Yeah, right? they'll go buy them a hat. They'll go buy them a base, like... Yeah, baseball, and you see it in prices in stadiums going up too. Like even in food, right? Yeah, food you know, is food's, food's big, ridiculous. That's like a big part too. When I was a little kid, I would go to family. You could get a hot dog for ten dollars, and now it's fifteen. Yeah, you know, like it's it's, it's ridiculous. Crazy. You know, a bottle of water used to be like it's like eight bucks now. Isn't yeah, it? a bottle of water used to be like two or three dollars, and now it's like six. And it's crazy. And you're like, why am I paying this absurd amount just because I'm at this location? And they try to wrap it in as part of the experience. And, yeah, sure, having a Fenway Frank is part of going to Fenway Park. That's mm-hmm. part of the experience. But I don't think, like, the quality of that product demands that high of a price mm-hmm. for that experience. I, I, I agree. So, like, I wonder, I hope this trend kind of levels out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not like drops, like because it's it's good that they're making the most money that they've ever made yeah, because like you want to make the most money. That gets the that goal. gets them exposure, which attracts new fans, right? So from a business perspective, that makes sense. Like now you have more money to go market to people who maybe aren't coming to your games right now. Mm-hmm. But do you want to do it at the cost of alienating a good percentage of the country? And turning them off to your sport. Because then you lose prospective clients. Exactly. You know. So, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting to look at it from both, like, the business perspective and the fan perspective. And, I mean, yeah, a lot of it is because of the TV deals and not because of the in-person purchases from the fans. But the TV deals are a good way to market to new audiences, which is it's definitely a good thing, like Fox, ESPN, and Turner. But for ESPN, right, you know, you have to pay for you have to pay for cable or you have to pay for ESPN Plus mm-hmm. to watch 
any of those games or Fox, right? Fox is a cable TV network, so you have to pay for cable. So people who can't afford to necessarily pay for TV aren't going to be able to watch the games, and you're not going to be able to like, you're not going to be able to go watch in person. Yeah, you're not going to be able to go watch in person either because ticket prices are so high. So you're turning off fans, but at the same time you're attracting. It's it's kind of a balance that it doesn't seem it doesn't seem necessarily out of balance right now, but it seems like it could be more in balance if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Not that, you know, like, everyone's not going to have access to be able to come to these yeah, games. Yeah, it's not a perfect like, world. Like, it's not a perfect world, you know. Like, everyone has different resources, and not everyone's going to have enough money in their budget to be able to afford to be a fan, like, of the sports team. But it should be more accessible than it is now. Yeah. And especially for little kids, it sh- should make them want to play in – their high school teams and join club teams with accessibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, I remember for me, I didn't know until after I was already done at this club team, but I, I'm not going to say the name of the club team, but I played for a club team when I was 15 that I didn't know how expensive it was until after. It was like three grand. Yeah. And I didn't know. And the experience was... Not a great experience, if I'm being honest. And I was like, we really paid three grand for that? Yeah, I I touched on that to this after, but you finished it. No, you... you Okay, so for me is I had friends who would go play, uh, I guess, club teams. Yeah. And should I say the team? It's up to you. It's a facility. It's up to you. No, I won't say them. But um, so my friends, they would play for this team or whatever, and they would talk about how... It's going to get them exposure, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's what they promise. They promise yes, you exactly. when you get recruited to these club teams and they, that you're going to get exposure. They paid around three grand, I would say, four grand. Right. And I went to play for just a team that we just threw together, like me and other kids I've grown up with. Yeah. Just threw together a like team. a rec team. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say a rec team. But closer. Yeah, exactly. Not like a club team like this. this right. Team. And we played them and we beat them. Right. So, yeah. like, you can do all this, pay all this money to go to facilities and get the best tra- get the best training, so-called, and then still lose to yeah. kids who don't do It's that. It's really people who run the club teams, they're businessmen. It is. And they promise these kids, yeah, you're going to get exposure. You're going to be able to go to a college team after this. Exactly. And it's like, no, they're just trying to get your money. Exactly. You know? It's a bunch of broken promises you just have so they can – you have to, as a kid, like to any kids out there, I would give the advice of you really have to find the right program and have someone that you trust running that program in it's order to be part. able to like yes. make it worth it. Yes. It, and this only relates back to MLB, the whole club team stuff, because their influence has an influence over every level of the game. Mm-hmm. Because they're the ones that kids watch and say, I want to be just like them. How do I? What steps do I take yeah, to, to get, get the there? Like that, like to that. get there, right? So they have influence over mm-hmm. all of these young kids' lives. And yes, that has nothing to do a little bit with them making ten point eight billion dollars, but it does a little bit because now they have the opportunity if they have the most money that they've ever had to be able to influence people in a positive way. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Uh, I think that's probably enough of that. Yeah. Um, so the second thing we want to talk about is the uh, college football playoff championship. It drew the lowest viewership since the bowl championship series began. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, it was on ESPN. The games were televised on ESPN. And ESPN averaged 17.2 million viewers for the college football playoff championship, which was between TCU and Georgia. And I, I just think a lot of people must have turned the TV off when it became a blowout. Yeah. You know, Georgia obviously won, what was it, 65, 62, something like that. To I think it was 65, 70. 65 to 7, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Which is an absolute blowout and an unprecedented Which score. And this represented, the 17.2 million represented the lowest viewership since 1999 when the current college bowl, uh, bowl football playoff format began. The uh, BCS format, they called it. Two out of the last three years, they've set record lows in viewership uh, for the BCS era. Uh, and that's in essentially the last... 25 years-ish. The 2022 college football playoff national championship game between Georgia and Alabama drew 22.56 million viewers for the total ESPN megacast, which is, so this year it's down over 5 million mm-hmm. from last year. And that's Crazy. that's a lot of that people. A that's lot. a lot of people that tuned out. And that was surprising. They a lot of to, money to be made, too. Yeah. They lost a lot. They lost, they lost a lot of potential money they could have made yes. out of that. And it kind of surprised me because, like, everyone was talking about, how, you know, Georgia TCU. Like, it was so hyped up. And, it was just... and then a lot of people got disappointed necessarily. I think it was disappointed, I was, in, I, I'm disappointed. in the quality of the game. Yeah. I, like, a championship game is supposed to be the two best teams. It's supposed have... to be exciting. Exactly. It's supposed you to be, I mean? like... Who's gonna win? Like you don't know, but like, right, yeah. If you get a situation. There's like supposed this, to be like, there's supposed to be some some tense drama. Yeah, exactly. To People it. Can, are gonna sit here and be like, "How did TCU ever make it? Like they yeah. deserve to be there." Yeah, Something there was like there was no drama in that game. Uh, yes, it was ten seven at one point, but that was in the first quarter, and then it got away from them very fast after that. So, just I'm surprised to see that they had the lowest viewership ever, but not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind, this is an average of how many people were watching at any given point during the game. So I'm sure there were a lot more people watching at the start of the yes. game than at the end of the game. And the end of the game numbers probably skewed the average a little bit. But at the same time, you could say that for you know most of the, most of the years where it's clear at a certain point in the game... Which team is going to win? Yeah. Uh, what else to say? And then, yeah. But then, going off this is uh, the three playoff of the uh, Peach Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, and National Championship averaged 20.6 million, which is up 9% year to year. Right. So the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl were the semifinal games to the championship game, which was TCU and Michigan and Georgia and who was it? Who did Georgia play? I forget. It wasn't Alabama. Alabama played Kentucky. No. It was the four seed. Was it Ohio State? It was Ohio State, yeah. Georgia, Ohio oh, yeah. State. I don't know why I first With the Peach Bowl. Yeah. The, uh, the Peach Bowl girl. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> How we doing? How we doing? All right. Fair all right, enough. We'll get back to this. 
But the trend of overall the college football playoff going up is something I think we're going to see to continue because of the expansion that's coming next year. Do you know about this, the 12-team playoff that they're inserting next yeah. year? We talked about that in sports. Media. Yeah, so if they're getting 20.6 million viewers per semifinal game, and next year there's going to be a lot more fan bases involved, mm-hmm. you would assume a lot more people are going to be involved more in the playoffs. More more money. Right, and more viewers equals more money. So they're going to continue to grow their not only their viewership but their money despite the fact that they had the lowest viewership for the final. I don't think, like, in the long run, it's not going to affect the NCAA a lot, you know? Like, I don't think they got any bad press from it. I don't think, you know, the viewership is a big issue either. I don't think really they should be worried about it, although it seems bad. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it logically, like, yeah, people are going to turn off when, like, they know who's going to win the game. Yeah. So it makes sense. All especially right. on a magnitude of that, like six yeah, especially seven. especially with that much of a score, a score like twenty gap. points, I probably turned them off. But yeah, exactly. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about is the Carlos Correa contract. So Carlos Correa, one of the biggest uh, MLB free agent shortstops, finally got his contract situation resolved, and we talked a little bit about the dispute around this on the last podcast, but. He backed out of his deal with the Mets to sign for six years, $200 million with the Minnesota Twins. There aren't many details of what, what went wrong with his physicals uh, with the Giants, who he first signed with, and then backed out of their contract when they did not like his physicals. And then he signed with the Mets, and they ultimately parted ways also over physical issues. But it's been speculated that his ankle has been an issue uh, and that's the red flag on his medicals. But it must be deteriorating if his contract offer got cut in half. You know, it's obviously it's not a problem right now because he's not being he's not hurt right now. Yeah. You know, we've seen him play healthy seasons for a while, for a while, but it must be deteriorating or it's going to be debilitating in the second half or well, not second half, but the last part of his career, the last leg of his mm-hmm. career. Because his offer got cut in half. Like, straight yeah, he had, up. Did he have – he had 12 and 13 years? He had 12 years. He had 12 years for $315 million. He had 13 years with – He had 13 with the Giants. Giants right? yeah. He had 12 with the Mets. And then he now has six with the Twins. It's possible he could sign another contract after that. But I want to know, like, what actually was the thing on the physical that made this we, happen? We have no idea. No one knows. No one like the information was released to nobody, not even reporters. You know, so I'm. Mean, I'd like to know. I did hear on two different podcasts that it was about his ankle, so that's my information that I'm I'm going off of. But I really hope that there's a story in the next like month or so or a couple of months explains that actually explains out. what actually happened. This would be like a really interesting like sports documentary. It is about like the player who signed eight hundred over eight hundred million dollars worth of contracts in one off season, but only ended up with one contract. Yeah. You know, the dude who had twelve and thirteen years, now he only has six. Yeah, like it's something to be talked about. All right, do you want to talk about the next topic yeah. a little bit? Uh, so the next thing we'll talk about is the NFL's viewership on Thursday Night Football has dipped, and it, uh, it's making their total viewership regress by 
but their TV partners got positive growth, growth numbers. But the NFL has made two point seven billion in sponsorship deals, and two point five from the two point oh five two point oh five coming from team deals. But this was a record. Yeah. So basically, the NFL did not have as high of a viewership on the Thursday night football uh, partnership that they have with Amazon as they wanted to. They partnered with Amazon last year to put every single Thursday night football game on Amazon Prime. And obviously with 3% people less watching the Thursday night football, they didn't get the results they wanted. Mm -hmm. 3% isn't a huge number. But if you think about the total viewership yeah, of the, the NFL, actual numbers, like true numbers, of that's a lot people, of that's people. That's a lot of people, and it shows a clear uh, perspective from the consumer that they don't want to have to pay for another package yeah. to watch the NFL. You know, so many people already pay for NFL Red Zone and, and all this stuff. They don't want to have to pay for another thing just to be able to watch Thursday Night Football, and Amazon Prime is. I think it's like 14 bucks a month or something like that. So, you know, they don't want to pay that money to to just be able to watch football, which for people that aren't necessarily affluent or not well off, who have a tight budget, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. that's understandable. Not wanting to pay for an extra TV service just to be able to watch one game a week. Exactly. But it was interesting that they still maintain the same level of sponsorship deals or they still maintain the same level of I'm not going to say revenue but they're still bringing in at least as much money as ever like the the 3% dip in viewership didn't affect them that much because mm -hmm. they they made more in sponsorships more people want to partner with them now than ever before more companies want to partner with them now than ever before compared to 2.05 that's an extra 700 Rounding, that's an extra $700 million that they made in sponsorships compared to their previous record, which is – that's a lot of money. And that's a lot, that's a lot of money they can use to expand their game. So that part of it is positive for sure. Uh, they did have the highest viewership for 42 of the 50 biggest sporting events of the year, however. So despite the fact that their Amazon Prime numbers were down – they had the most viewership among any sport mm -hmm. in, in America yeah. for the majority of the year. I mean, the vast majority of the year, 42 out of 50 is a you know, large percentage of the year, of, of the biggest sporting events at least. And the Super Bowl had 100 million viewers. That's a lot of people watching one game. Yeah. You, know, you compare that with the national championship we were just talking about at, you know, last year was 22. We'll call this year an off year. Last year was 22. The Super Bowl had five times as many viewers. So they still have complete dominance over the TV market in America mm -hmm. among sports leagues. Yeah. Do you want to talk about their TV partners a little bit? Yeah. So the NFL's TV partners saw gain from their respective packages, which is Fox, CBS, and NBC. NBC and CBS are up 3%, while Fox is up 4 and this is viewership numbers, by the way, for yeah. people who don't know what the percentages are. And this tends to be enough people already have cable, and they just don't want to buy another streaming service to make the difference. Which is kind of like what yeah. we just talked about. Exactly. It makes sense. You know, like, you're already paying for cable. You're already paying for 
a lot of houses have like Netflix or something, so you're already paying for a couple of streaming Maybe services. Hulu, Maybe Disney Hulu, Plus, right? Like, you don't want to have to pay for like up. a fourth or fifth one, you know? Because exactly. the money adds up when you when you start talking about buying TV streaming services. Um, yeah, so I just I just thought it was interesting that despite their viewership drop, it it didn't really affect them at all. But I wonder if this is a big enough drop in viewership to not suspend their partnership with Amazon because they're on a contract, but maybe after their contract is over, kind of phase it out a little bit or start phasing it out in the coming years. Because, you know, this, I'm not sure if this was a pilot, but you could almost view it as, is this working or not, you know? And I'm not I'm not ready to say that it's not working for them yet because three percent, you know, still ninety seven percent of the viewers you expect it to have mm-hmm. you had. But if it continues to slope down to let's say ten, fifteen percent drop, yeah. then you start thinking, Oh, this might not be an effective business decision and we need to cut our losses and get out of this mm-hmm. and switch to a different strategy or a different medium to put our game out there so that more people will watch. Uh, okay, so along with the NFL, um, as long as we're talking about the NFL, we might as well talk about the Washington Commanders. So they might have a new potential stadium in Virginia, and last year there was a proposed $3 billion project for them in Virginia that didn't get enough government support. But with owner Dan Schneider looking to sell the team, it is possible that it could be approved among the Virginia government. So the team is worth $5.6 billion right now, and the potential buyers are Jeff Bezos and the Fenway Sports Group, which is – I thought that was interesting when I read that in this article by Front Office Sports because we literally just talked about this a couple weeks ago yeah. that I think the Fenway Sports Group is looking to expand into every – sports market like, they can get into. And you were spot on. And I was spot on. They're one of the top two buyers for the Up there with Jeff for Bezos. the Washington Commanders. And I yeah. And Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world, or among the top three at least. I'm not sure. It may I be mean, I'm pretty maybe sure Elon updated. Musk is the first. Elon Musk might be the first. But he's among the top like, three richest people in the world. So the fact that the Fenway Sports Group is even competing with him for a bid depending on how bad he actually wants it, is ridiculous. Like, it's, that's good for them. But at the same time, like we talked about a few weeks ago, I wonder if, if they buy this team, will they put all of their focus now into this team and kind of back away, not back away, but not focus as much on some of their current holdings? Yeah. Who would you think would buy the Commanders, Jeff Bezos or the, or the Family Sports Group? I mean, personally... I feel like, as a business decision, the Fenway Sports Group. I feel like. I feel like it makes more sense. It for makes them. more sense for them just because, like, the, Jeff Bezos the, doesn't own a professional yeah. sports team. He has no idea how to run one. Exactly, and it's like the, not that he couldn't run it. I mean, I'm sure he could. He runs yeah. one of the most lucrative companies on the planet. But the Fenway Sports Group definitely knows more. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, off. you're fine. And it's like, it's how much money like is in football. Yeah, there is so much more money. So much more. There's so much more money in football because there's so many more people that watch football. Like, we just talked about the 100 million viewers for the Super Bowl. 
you don't see the World Series getting 100 million viewers. You don't viewers. see, like, the NBA Finals doing that. You don't see the NBA Finals yeah, doing that. You don't see the MLS doing that. You don't see the NHL Finals doing that or the Stanley Cup doing that. The NFL is the biggest sports league in America, and that's just the reality of the sports world. And so it would make sense for them to want to get into it because that's going to be where a lot of profit is. There's going to be a lot of profit in, in any NFL that's team. That's just where the money is to be made. Yeah. Not that they're not making enough money with their with their now four sports teams of you know the Red Sox, Liverpool, but just that much more. The NBA team, but it's just that much more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and if they will get that new stadium in Virginia or not. And I wonder if that will influence the decision of each ownership group or not. You know, mm-hmm. because if they're going to get a new stadium approved. If you buy it as a new owner, you now have to pay for the construction of that stadium. Thanks. And stadiums are not cheap. Stadiums are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So you're adding that onto the cost of, you know, the $5.6 billion. It's possible that the $5.6 billion could take into account that possibility, that risk. But I doubt it. Yeah. And, you know, like... I completely lost my my train of thought. Um, yeah, like if you don't have the new stadium, will it make the Family Sports Group or Jeff Bezos more willing to purchase them because there isn't that additional cost? Yeah. I don't. I'm gonna look up their stadium right now. Hang on. It's an interesting situation. What? Washington Commander Stadium because I don't like I don't remember thinking of their stadium as trashy or anything. I don't remember it being like a like a bad stadium that needs ruins. FedEx Field is is the name. <coughs> it doesn't look trashy or anything at all. It looks like a like a nice stadium. I mean, there could be more seating, possibly, but it doesn't look like a bad field or a bad place to experience a game so i don't really understand necessarily why you would need a new stadium it just kind of looks like a normal football nfl stadium and they'd be relocating from to virginia yeah they're in maryland now i believe yeah i believe so so you know you would move states but part of it is also the development they don't i don't think they currently have like a development around their stadium where it's like you know how the Patriots have where it's like Patriot Place where there's like uh, a shopping center around them. Yeah. That more than likely would be included in the plans to buy their new stadium because that's a trend we're seeing among, like we talked about last week with the shopping centers, with stadiums. That's a trend we're seeing among all sports right now. So I think that'll be interesting to see if, if they end up getting that new stadium or not and if that decision influences the decision by ultimately the Virginia government about whether or not to approve that stadium influences the decision of who's going to buy the team. All right, and um, you want to introduce the last thing we have to talk about today? Yeah, um, so the last thing is we'll be talking about Barcelona and how they made $966 million, reno- million dollars in renovations. There's a plan to make... Or it's a plan. No, it's, there's a plan to make $966 million in renovation. They just got it approved um, by their government uh, to update. Spotify Camp New is their 
is their stadium. Within a budget of $966 million in March 2022, Spotify partnered with Barcelona for $306 million. So you can probably see that a lot of the money that they're putting into the renovations came from that partnership. Mm-hmm. And Europe's lar- um, Spotify Camp New is Europe's largest stadium at 99,354 people. This kind of ties back into what we were talking about last week with mm-hmm. the soccer stadiums being so much larger yeah. than any stadium over here. Outside of maybe Penn State, which can hold around 100,000 people uh, for football, and Georgia, which can hold around 85,000 for football, I can't think of a stadium in the U.S. that holds that many people. I don't know of any. That there are none, other than those two that I can think of. Uh, maybe the Rose Bowl Stadium that is another one. But, like, of a professional team, certainly not. And only of a, a few, a handful of college teams. Yeah. Barcelona reported a profit of $111 million behind $1.15 billion in revenue for the year ending of June 2022. So they, have, they definitely have enough money to make the renovations. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's probably needed... Because they've had the same stadium since 1957. It's an old stadium. But to me, it shows kind of the benefits of being a profitable club. You know, they're one of the the top clubs in Europe. And that comes along with perks, including getting $966 million approved (laughs) to to make yourself a new stadium. And, you know, that's just going to make you more money because... You're attracting new fans who want to come to the new stadium now, you know, and have, have that experience. And a new stadium is an experience of itself that people will pay money for. So it's a good investment by their owners. I think, I think it's definitely a smart business decision if they have the money. And then they do have the money because they're one of the most profitable clubs in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything to add to that? No? I think that covers it. All right. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Um, go Bengals. <laughs> All right. Go Bengals. I guess we are a, a Bengals positive podcast. I'm, I'm down for that. Yes, we are. Um, we love Joe Burrow. We love Joe Burrow. All right. Uh, next week, we will be talking a lot about the uh, NFL wildcard weekend playoffs and how they did probably in their readership and their revenue, but also just a little bit about the games and mm-hmm. um, trends we will see going forward. And... I think next week we should make some Super Bowl predictions. predictions. Super Bowl predictions. I already got mine. All right. I got mine too. Um, well, we'll, we'll save it for next week. We'll save it for next week. So for any of you listeners, tune in next week to find those out. And uh, this is Sports Business Perspective signing off. Have, Have a, a good nice, day, everyone. Have a nice rest of your day, folks. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it.